welcome to Fangirl Fridays. I'm Natalie. And I'm Marin. Hey. Hi. We're back. We're back. Two weeks. I, I almost forgot we Th- took a break. It doesn't really feel like it. No. Time I mean, flies. Time flies when you're puking on tequila. Not me. You. Me. You. Yeah. I was in Mexico. Didn't puke on tequila. No. You did. I just, I got too excited. <laughs> I love free things. And that's what happens. I love free things. I love to puke in front of my parents. As a 30-year-old woman. Yeah, who doesn't? It's really great. I mean, it's better, though, than when you puke in front of your future mother-in-law in the car that she's also riding in because you got so drunk at the wedding the night before. Mm. So just keep that keep that in mind. <laughs> just, like, I got I you know. I think that's, like, a seal of approval right there. I mean, that she was still, like, okay with us getting married? Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, what are you fangirling over? I'm fangirling over a couple things. Ooh. Uh, one, Beyonce's homecoming. Mm. I mean, I fangirled over the performance last year, yes. but now there's a Netflix doc I can revisit in HD or whatever. What's the highest definition I can get now? I think that. 4K. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also was released as an album. Yeah, do you And have when it? you hear that, you cannot not move. You have to dance, like, yeah. in your car. Like, it's impossible not to move. They did a story on it on NPR, and I was already like, mm-hmm, 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 Yep, mm-hmm. feeling it, feeling it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm also fangirling. I watched the first episode of Fosse, speaking of wanting to dance. Right. And I immediately just wanted to have a leotard on and dance. It's, uh, it's going to be good. Did you, so for a show like that, how much Googling did you either do during or after? Zero. None? You were I, just I like, asked oh. a lot of questions and was too tired to Google. No, you just didn't watch. I was like, I'll do okay. it later. Yeah, I mean. I actually did look up the daughter. Okay. Their daughter to like confirm some things for me. But yes. That's it. But that was it. I am also fangirling over an FX show. Yes, which I have not watched yet. I have said time and time again, as a full slate of entertainment, FX, the best. I think so. I think so. Like, HBO, look out. Right. They're coming for you. What We Do in the Shadows, Hot Jam. So I know. I want to watch it so bad. I've actually never seen the full movie, um, but it, you know, it's the guys who did Flight of the Concords, uh, and it is such a particular, like, New Zealand humor is, like, British humor with, like, a slight but left good. turn. Well, it's just I'm, like a, I'm sorry, I don't like British humor. It's just like, you can see the lineage, you know what I mean? You're like, uh-huh. oh, I get this, but it's a little more off the wall than British humor is. And they're, they've added a female vampire, which, according yeah, to my husband, is that. the absolute best addition. Like, <gasps> she's amazing. Great. And then there's an energy vampire, and he is played by the husband of one of our friends, and it is too much. Like, it's just ridiculous and silly, but so well done. And they have a familiar who's like a non-vampire. His name is Guillermo. He has the best sweaters. All he wants to do is be a vampire, and they're so mean to him. And he's so sweet, and I love it. I actually saw the movie for the first time within the past six months. Oh, okay. I loved it. It was great. Yeah. Um, I'm also briefly fangirling over, we got a new review. I think we got it maybe while we got it a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. And, but I, like, got a notification about it and sent it to you, and you were like, oh, yeah, I've seen it. I'm like, what? Hello. I'm sorry. Uh, it was fine. You were in the middle of a crisis, we were so it's totally fine. during spring break. Yes, we didn't oh. know. Um, but so it's Jen Books 12 wrote us the loveliest little note, and I was just True. like, oh, this silly, dumb little thing that we do matters to, like, I know. 12 people, and we, I love it. Once 
once in a blue moon when we get a review, yeah. I'm like, this is why we do it. Completely. So thanks, thanks, Jen Brooks. I was, Thank you. I was all about it. All right, I'm very excited about today's topic. I, like always, I don't know how well this episode will go, mm-hmm. but I'm so excited to discuss it. So we had like a a full um, creative meeting, and we like <laughs> ate or, like went through some different topics, and we kind of were like, you know, do we want to do a show? Like, do we want to do but whatever. I don't know how we have not spoken about this person yeah. significantly. Well, we've had this topic idea for a long time. Yes. You had artwork. Yes. Ready. But we never went there. And now we're ready. We're ready. We are going to talk about Drew Barrymore. Our queen, probably. It's so, we have a lot of queens. We but have a lot of queens. She might be the definite queen. So we are also both listening to her book, her second book. She has yeah, a first one that she wrote when she was 16. That, that one's got to be crazy. I don't know that I can handle. This one, Wildflower, was written in 2015, and we're listening to her narration of it. Mm-hmm. Now, it took me a solid seven chapters to be like... It's not Josie Grossi? Yes, but also you forget her earnestness is yes. so overwhelming. I, you know, I was like, when I'm reading, I'm about halfway through now, mm-hmm. maybe a little farther. Yeah. And it's almost inspiring. Like, yes. this person is so genuine. Yes. And you, just, like, enthusiastic to live. Yes. I'm like, wow. And you... Hero. We live in such a world where everyone wants to shit on everything all the time, and, like, people are snarky and make fun of stuff, and she just comes from such a place of pure joy for life that it's almost overwhelming to listen to initially. You're like, I am just commuting, and this is too much energy <laughs> for me. Like, I need to turn it down a little. Yeah. Because she's... She's yelling sometimes. She's yelling. Straight up yelling. And just pumped and it's the book is non-sequential which initially i was like do i hate this but it's like short essays Mm -hmm. about her life about different periods of her life but i will say i've cried three times and i don't even know if they were emotional moments it was just the way she spoke you know how and you can hear someone crying yeah Mm -hmm. like the part about her dad oh yeah just wait till the dog one. Okay. Oh, oh god, wow. I'm not there. I am not there. Okay, so the way we're gonna break up this little series is sort of like early Drew, middle Drew, now Drew. Yeah. Yeah. Now ish. They're all Drew. great. Because this woman has lived, lived a life like she's, unbelievable, and she's still living. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's like like forty-four living years it up. old. Yeah, she's not not that old. But by the time she was fourteen, which is I think where we'll cut off this episode, how was she not dead? How would she not die? Good point. There's a chapter in her book that's all about how she didn't know how to do laundry. Yes. At, like, being on her own at 14, Mm -hmm. and I cannot imagine. No. I couldn't do it. It's a very funny sequence when she's like, what do I do with this liquid fabric softener? And then she just, like, took wet towels out of the dryer because she put the liquid fabric softener in the dryer. This is the kind of content I want. Yeah, but if you've been raised at Studio 54, why would you know how to do laundry? All right. So Drew Barrymore comes from... The infamous Barrymore family, Mm -hmm. which I sent you an article because I knew I wasn't going to obtain much of it. Yeah. That was her ancestry, her family tree. It, there are seven generations of actors in the Barrymore family. Deep. Seven. It goes to like the 1700s. Yeah, we're in Ireland. We're in England. Like literally her grandmother, her great, great, great grandmother was a minstrel. Like no joke, like roaming around the village being a performer. And I was just like, well... This all makes a lot of sense. It's, and it's crazy to have, like, such a cool lineage. 
It's, yeah. But she talks about in her book, she didn't know any of them. No. Any of them. Um, so her grandfather's John Barrymore. Her father's John Drew Barrymore. Now, her dad was on, like, Gunsmoke. I remember seeing Rawhide. Rawhide. When we lived in England, Rawhide was one of the only American shows on television on Sundays. It was very strange. So you got really into Rawhide? I got really into Rawhide, which is a weird sentence to say. But, like, so I've seen a decent amount of Rawhide. He was a massive drug addict. And violent alcoholic. Violent alcoholic and essentially sabotaged his own career. The same thing happened to his father. Mm -hmm. His father drank himself to death. So there's a lot of problems in the in the Barrymore lineage yes. to start with. And you with. kind of see it in Drew Barrymore's mm -hmm. early life, and then she works through it. Yeah. Um, her mother, Jade, which is, uh, she was she was basically born in a concentration camp or which a displaced crazy. person's camp yeah. um, in Germany. Yeah, she was a war child. Yes, and she, she did some modeling. A little modeling, a um, little acting, but she essentially had a very chaotic, problematic relationship with Drew's father. And Drew tells this anecdote in the book that they, she has never had a dinner with her two parents together yes. in her life. That blew me away. And I was like, well, so much of this makes sense just from that mm -hmm. sentence. I had alone. never really seen younger photos of her mother until we started doing research for this. Mm -hmm. They look a lot alike. Yeah, she was a total babe, too. Yeah. She had that kind of mix of, like, Bianca Jagger. Like, I don't know, there's like a... There's sort of like a dark, she's like much darker mm -hmm. than Drew. And so she seems like a little more mysterious. I don't know. Um, so they, her parents are married, weren't married. Her dad, she also says, never had an apartment. Yeah. He was just like a recluse just wandering around well, Topanga Canyon. And the crazy thing is she said that he always managed to show up where they were. Yeah. And he had 80s. no information. Zero. But so that made me feel like her her mom was, like, tipping him off. Maybe. But they'd be at restaurants, and he would just pop in. It's crazy. So she grew up in West Hollywood, California. No joke, eight blocks from my house. Oh, um, my God. She grew up on Poinsettia Place. I drove over Poinsettia Place today. Now, back in the 70s and 80s, WeHo was rough. Mm -hmm. um, the whole area sort of in where you and I both live not great. Yes. And um, a lot of eclectic people. A lot of eclectic people. As described people. in the book. Yes. And obviously, if you know anything about um, L.A., like West Hollywood is a, a very gay neighborhood. And it sort of seceded from Los Angeles because it was like they wanted, you know, their mm -hmm. own independence and kind of their own rights. And sort of it was this kind of safe community for um, the gay community. And she grew up right in the middle of all of this craziness. And she lived in a duplex. Uh, they had, you know, two sets of neighbors, and she lived in this apartment until she, she was seven. So that's, like, through the majority of her early work. So her mom was just, like, taking all that money and then literally one day came home and was like, hey, I bought a house in the valley. We're moving to Sherman Oaks. Yeah. Ruining her life. <laughs> Which is why Drew Barrymore lives in West Hollywood today. Yes, she She's mentions. Like, I'm moving back. She mentions that she takes her daughters to the same park that she grew up at, and I was like, "Do they go to Poinsettia Park? Because that's where my baby's at." All the I time. know, I know where that is. Yeah, and I was, it's off Poinsettia, and I was like, "Oh no, do I Can need we, to time out?" So, if you were at the park, Drew Barrymore walks there. What would you do? <laughs> Just die? I don't know. I I think I would have to talk about never been kissed. It's like, yeah, when we met. 
Mark Silverstein and was just like... That's the only thing you, you can just, say. You have to talk about it because it's such this seminal movie, an important movie in both of our lives. Like, I just... There's so much to talk about with her, but I think I would have to mm-hmm. key in on that. How do you not cry is the question. I don't know. So I have seen Drew Barrymore in person because on my 20th birthday, I tried to go to SNL. And Bradley Cooper was hosting that week. He was not the Bradley Cooper we know today. Mm-hmm. Nobody cared uh-huh. about Bradley Cooper. Right. But he was in He's Just Not That Into You. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Drew Barrymore came in with a crew of people when my friend and I were eight people from the elevator and the standby line. She came in with about ten people, and then they cut <gasps> the line off. Oh. So I had to hate Drew Barrymore yeah. because she did that to me. But all I remember is like, because she quickly walked to a different elevator, is she was short. Yeah. She's like a little taller than me. Mm-hmm. It was very surprising. Did you, if you do see her again now, do you bring up that story? No. And be like, bitch, I'm, you Not until my we're friends. Okay. <laughs> not, not until we're like into not it. Not until we're friends. But okay. I would sob, I think. Yeah. She just has like an ethereal quality that it just like, you would feel joy mm-hmm. and you would just have to talk, you would have to talk to her. All right, time in. So time in. She starts working basically immediately. Yeah. Her first job, she's 11 months old. And I've heard this story so many times. It's almost like a weird Hollywood lore. Mm -hmm. So it was a puppy chow commercial. And she gets the job because the dog in the commercial, like, bites her. Yeah. And she just laughed. She laughed instead of cried. And so then they hired her on the spot. And I've heard this story so many times, and I was like, oh, yeah, right. I watched a lot of Drew Barrymore commercials last night. Ooh. There was a bunch of, like, Pillsbury Doughboy ones that were real fun. She doesn't speak, but she's just a yeah. super cute, expressive, like, I tried kid. to watch um, her one of her early Johnny Carson interviews, but mm. it was removed from YouTube. Oh, no. Um, I think everyone knows at this point that she is Gertie in E.T. So if it's really, she has a couple of roles before this, but this is kind of... This is like the big one. But right. she actually auditioned to be in Poltergeist. Makes sense. Right. But it was being produced by Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. He was very charmed by her in the audition because Drew Barrymore loved to lie as a child. Yeah. So instead of saying like... She wanted to be an actress or anything like that. She said she was the drummer of a loud punk rock band called the Purple People Eaters who painted their faces and had shows every night for arenas. And he just loved her energy, even though she wasn't right for Poltergeist, Mm -hmm. and asked if she wanted to audition for his movie. Right. And that's how she landed the audition for E.T. So Steven Spielberg is Drew Barrymore's godfather. And you might say to yourself, how? Because normally when you have a godfather or godmother, they're assigned to you, like, at birth. Yeah. Um, but she asked her mom if Steven Spielberg could be her godfather, and then he said yes. Yeah, because, I mean, the time on set, those kids had a magical experience oh, yeah. from mm-hmm. all the stories I've read. Mm-hmm. And she just, like, felt really comfortable with him and didn't want it to end. Tell me about Steven. He's a nice director, that's for sure. And um, he he needs a lot of sleep. That's because he has to work late at night. Steven's much more nicer, like like a million nicer. He's much more nicer. And so, coming out of ET, she becomes, and I think she still is, the youngest person to have hosted SNL. Speaking of your SNL, um, so on November twentieth, nineteen eighty-two, at seven. <laughs> That's crazy. She hosts it. What? 
SNL has not had a child host in 20 years. Who was maybe? the last? Maybe there's think? like a teen, like a Miley Cyrus or something. Yeah. I wonder if like the, the girl from Little could do it now. I bet she could actually. But she's, I mean, what, 12? 10? Yeah. Not seven. Not seven. Seven is a first grader. You know what? Here we're going to do, guys. We're going to give the reins of the show for a week to this first grader. Yeah. Insane. <laughs> like, what a strange thing. So from E.T., we go into a couple of movies in 1984. Firestarter. Yes. Irreconcilable Differences. Now, I have not seen Irreconcilable Differences. Either. And I don't know why. Because it's Ryan O'Neill and Shelley Long. What? right as her parents and I was like oh what they are terrible they're like Hollywood people and essentially it's a weird sort of you know it's foreshadowing too close to home yeah because they are terrible and the whole movie is done in through flashback while they're in court because Casey Drew Barrymore's character is trying to emancipate herself from them and she wants to go live with the maid Um, and so there's the craziest thing though is that the story one written by Nancy Myers. Um, How have I not seen this movie? I know. Two, inspired by the divorce between Peter Bogdanovich and his first wife when he left her for Sybil Shepherd. And I was like, what? This? Do I need to rent this immediately? This alone is mind-blowing. Yes. And so the movie is like not great, but both Shelley Long and Drew Barrymore were nominated for a Golden Globe. Right there. Okay. That's crazy. Sure. Also in 84... Firestarter. I have seen Firestarter. I've seen Firestarter so many times I can't even talk. Like it was one of those weird TV movies. Like I didn't realize it was an actual movie because I just only saw it all of the all time. All the time. Um, Stephen King novel. And so Charlie Drew Barrymore has pyrokinesis because both of her parents have special powers because they participated in like a scientific experiment. Her mom is Heather Locklear. We don't talk enough about that. No, we don't. Um, I sort of forgot actually. Um, not well received. <laughs> At all. Roger Ebert gave it two stars, and Stephen King says it's the worst adaptation of one of his novels. Has anyone ever tried to redo Firestarter? Surprisingly, no, because it feels right for a redo. Yeah. It feels like it's campy as shit. Because yeah. I can hear the noise, and like you can see she gets the nosebleeds. Like, yeah, I, I can have hear a complaint about okay. Roger Ebert. Because I, I look up a lot of movies I love, and mm-hmm. his reviews are always bad. Yeah, he's curmudgeonly. Well, I love Roger Ebert as a person, and I loved that documentary about him. But here's my thing my problem is he hates camp. Yes. Across the board. But. Yeah. He wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is one of the campiest movies ever. Hmm. Maybe he was like, he's bitter about it? Yeah, or something. It drives me nuts. Huh. Yeah, I mean, because camp has a place. I mean, it's a little more like psychedelic and weird. Right. Maybe it's a different time. But we have to appreciate come it. come on. So then throughout the 80s, then she does... Cat's Eye, which is another... Which I've also seen. I have not seen, which is not surprising. All I remember is... Drew Barrymore's in her bedroom a lot. Yeah. And there's a cat that sees little, like, gnome kind of people that live in her walls. Oh, this is sounding familiar. The cat is the common thread. It's actually an anthology movie. There's three short stories, like, 
in this one movie, and then they all play different characters, but the cat's the thread, I don't know, sounds terrible when you say it like that, um, was produced by Giada De Laurentiis' grandfather. Oh, Who was okay. a very, very big movie producer. He's produced 500 movies. And then I got down a rabbit hole of that. It was a whole thing. Again, moderate box office success. It's funny because you think about Drew now and you're like, oh, she was this big child star. And then when you're going through all she the actual really movies. She wasn't. Well, she I was, mean, she had E.T. But nothing was received very well. Yeah. Like, she was always... Like, she was a star as a person. Yeah, and her performances are always praised, but everyone's like, ah, she's the best in this shitty movie. Like, mm-hmm. from almost all of the things that I could see. Um, and then lastly, in the 80s, kind of before things start to go real crazy with her, she stars in this movie called Far From Home. She, in the movie, is 13, about to be 14. She's 14 in real life. The key art makes her look 25 years old. And that's actually the criticism that's of the movie. Bad. That she's, like, like exploited. Uh-huh. Um, and essentially, she and her dad break down in this town. And then, like, some creepy dude, like, gets obsessed with her. And it's it's not great. Again, universally panned. But she has become sort of this, you know publicity hound, like not her her mother is a publicity hound and mm-hmm. so like what's going on in her personal life is sort of taking over what's happening in her professional life yeah which leads into we can talk about studio 54 Chumbly. having a childhood in studio 54 like your fond memories take place in studio 54 I mean, I don't hate it. I don't hate it, but I feel very bad for her. Because it's just like, what? you're seven, you're nine. Like, you've grown up so fast. And just so much of you, you think it's totally normal. Yeah. Because why wouldn't it you be? Know. Right. But when you then have the ability to take a step back and be like, what? Because Studio 54 was extreme and opulent and people were just like blowing coke on the table. It wasn't this kind of... You know, it's just like it was the most lavish, out-of-control place of the places. You weren't just like at the local tavern. Also, in Studio 54. Also, was this like during filming? Because if you're living in Sherman Oaks, why are you in New York at Studio 54? Great question. Like, how often are you going? Yeah. So leading up to being double digits, Mm -hmm. Drew Barrymore starts going to Studio 54. It's after her parents have finally divorced at some point. Yes. And she only has good memories. She describes going to clubs as Disneyland for adults, only she got to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So she felt special. She actually met Mick Jagger for the first time at Studio 54. She thought it was so cool because she knew who he was. And they would be in similar circles. What? Also, like, Mick Jagger, why are we in similar circles with a nine-year-old? I mean, he was there for Bianca Jagger, who was, like, always at Studio 54. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Jerry Hall. Yeah, how do you get how do you get in that circle? I don't know. As a, as a kid. As a child. Um, at Rob Lowe's 20th birthday party, I'm not sure if this was at 54 or just another club. Mm -hmm. Jade abandoned Drew in the club to find her own fun. Mm. And that's when Drew Barrymore had her first beer and makeout session. Not sure exactly what age, but then she started regularly drinking and smoking. And by age 12, she was addicted to cocaine. So... (laughs) I'm so glad you have this in there. So by age 12, she'd already been in, she went to rehab, um, and she was supporting Nancy Reagan's, like, just say no, (laughs) which I can see these images of Nancy Reagan and Drew's, like, in this little red dress, because I remember this being 
like reading about it and being like, this is so insane. So she fell off the wagon kind of time and time again. At 13, her mother institutionalizes her, essentially. Her mom also maybe should have gone to rehab. There's a lot of things going on here. Like, she needed rehab, but she was put in an institution. For, like, 18 months. Yes. Not just your, you know, your casual 30-day, 90-day situation. A year and a half, they put her in a hospital, and she was treated for alcohol and drug addiction. And then she, she gets out. At 14... She tries to kill herself. She slits her wrists. Um, they, she goes back to rehab. And then she stays with David Crosby and his wife for three months. Unsure where that connection comes from. Right. I saw the thing that was like, because David Crosby at this point was sober. And so I don't know if he knew her dad or something. This feels very Topanga Canyon. Like, I feel like David Crosby lives yeah. in Topanga Canyon. And that they were just trying to be a good influence. Because essentially, and what Drew talks about in her book, is that she had no consistency at all in her childhood. Yeah, there's no, like, regular home life. No regular home life, no common thread, no stability. And so it's just like, of course, these crazy things happen. These, you know, you're going to the club. Of course. On, on top of all of this, this is, these are your puberty years. Oh, God. The worst. A true nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so end of the 80s, she's 14, and she gets emancipated. Yeah, because the institution... It's like, uh, like, your mom's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the people that hospitalized her were like, you know what? Thanks for coming. <laughs> Actually, don't go back to that crazy woman. Yeah. Let's go. You know, your courts. mom should be in here. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. So she gets an apartment on her own and moves back to West Hollywood, which is a very questionable apartment. Mm-hmm. But here's where she starts to finally learn how to do laundry. And yeah. it's a journey. It's a journey. Again, she's 14. She's working at a coffee shop. Like, can you imagine just wandering in and it's not, like, the owner's daughter that's, yeah. like, taking My your order? My confusion in this point of her life is, is she still trying to get roles during this? Or is she fully, like, taking a break? I work at a coffee shop. I'm just trying to live a normal life. Well, I get the sense that she was sort of persona non grata, meaning the press around her was that similar to kind of like what has happened ultimately with Lindsay Lohan. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like you're damaged goods. You're uninsurable. You're a mess. Yeah, we can't you're handle an addict. It. We can't handle you. So even if she were trying to get roles, I just don't think the opportunities were presenting themselves in any way. So it was kind of this lull to be like, all right, let's be a normal human. Yeah. And she had dropped out of school. Yes. So she was just reading books to get an education. Yeah. And like, like Jane Eyre, not just like your Sweet Valley High. I was like, what? I was not reading that at 14. No. Okay, sure. Um, during this time, though, during this period, 14-year-old Drew Barrymore briefly dated 18-year-old Corey Feldman after they appeared together on an episode of CBS School Break Special. Do you... I vividly can see I can their see Oscar them. photos yes. together. So mm-hmm. they attended the Oscars. They broke up... Probably early 1990. It didn't last that long. Right. And Feldman's memoir that's geniusly titled 
choreography. <laughs> he said at the time he was super into drugs and she was really trying to stay sto- sober after her suicide attempt and like being in rehab. So right there, that's messy. Yeah. And that their first date was actually four years prior when she was 10 and he was 14. They were set up by Jade, her mother. Jade sounds like the and worst. And her manager at the time because Drew had like a childhood crush on him. Yeah, because he was a star. So go on a date. Go on a lunch date. Go on a lunch date. Where do you think they went? The they Ivy? They probably like, I imagine they were at a studio. Totally. Just like in the back lot mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. So girl has lived a life and she is 14. It yeah. is 1989. Like we're not even into some shit. I just, listening to her tell these stories about the instability and the sort of inconsistency was giving me a little bit of a panic attack mm-hmm. because I'm obviously a very structured person. And so to think that someone can ultimately like come out the other side so wonderfully gave, gave me hope. Oh, yeah, the but entire also, time. Whoa. The entire time I just kept thinking how strong she is totally. because if I were on my own at 14, I would be dead. Yeah. I'm not saying I would have like killed myself. I just wouldn't have made it. No, and uh, she was living in a rough neighborhood and had no she had no grandparents. Her parents were a mess. Like she had no She one. just had to rely on older friends yeah hoping they're like mature enough she talks about when she was little and they were living in the duplex um they get new neighbors and it's a a dating couple who ultimately get married and she would love when they would fight because they would fight kind of calmly and she could hear them through the walls and she just felt so comforted by a male voice because she had no men in her life at all she had no fatherly you know person to help her it's it's really remarkable and we'll get into, you know, her successes, her sort of, like, stumbling points, but it's just, like, wow. Yeah. I mean, the 90s, granted, I think there's a few, like, lows. For sure. But the 90s are amazing for Drew Barrymore. <laughs> she, when you really look back on the 90s, it's hard to separate her from the look of the 90s and sort mm-hmm. of the attitude of the 90s. And it's just, like, oh man. I got down a rabbit hole of, like, beauty photo shots of... Drew Barrymore and all of her different hair and like oh, the daisies, the daisies, the daisies alone. Uh, yeah, we'll here, here at this point, not really a fashion icon. No, sort of just like emerging, trying to figure out yeah. herself. She's had all this success. She's sort of supported her very troubled parents up until this point, and now she's at this this no. fork in the road. Which way are we going to go? Do you remember the photo shoots? I assume they're still 80s where she's in her home in workout clothes. Yeah. In, like, mm-hmm. her be- her teen bedroom. Yeah. And she had, like, great 80s hair. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. I feel like that's it. Yeah. I'm episode. super excited for next week. Yeah. There'll be, there'll be a lot. A lot of There's going to be a lot material. to cover. Um, all right, guys. Tell us your early Drew Barrymore story. Have you seen Firestarter 47 times like I have? Have, have you met Drew Barrymore? Did you sob? Oh, dear Lord. That we need to know sobbing stories. Um, so send us an email at hellofangirls at gmail.com or find us on social. So until next week. Bye. bye.